Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. If you're a video game player and you spend most of your time on side quests or visiting cantinas or just kind of looking around and playing with all of the different props, then really you have to thank our three next guests for creating an environment. What makes the video game just so cool? I'm Bobby Brill, and on this episode of Creative Mind, we'll be speaking with three alumni. Lord Kanavati, who works at 2K Games, Kuko Tsai, who works at Blizzard Entertainment, and Maddie Christian, who works at 31st Union. And these three artists really break down the world of environment art, what that means, and the skill set you need, and really the thinking on really how you can build a career working in the world of video games. And it's a really fascinating conversation. But before we begin, please hit subscribe on whatever platform or device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. Thank you, ladies, so very much for talking to me about being an environment artist and creating the world of video games. And I know all of you work respectively at different companies. And can you tell us, you know, who you are and what company you're working with? Hi, everybody. My name is Lord Kinavati. Um, I'm an environment artist at 2K Games, uh, specifically Visual Concepts, which works on the NBA uh, titles. Ah, okay. So you get to do all the fun, you know, hardwood floors and screaming fans and throwing <laughs> cokes and stuff. That's, I mean, that's part of it, but <laughs> okay. Sure. And, and, yeah, no, it's not it. But good try. My specific title is the screaming fans with cokes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. And uh, Kuko, introduce yourself and tell us where you're working at. Hi, everybody. I'm Kuko. Uh, I'm currently an environment artist working at Blizzard Entertainment. I do a little bit different things in environment than Lord. I make trees and plants, uh, skyboxes, grasses, flowers, you know, all the organic stuff. Oh, okay. Okay, very cool. Uh, and Maddie, last but not least, kind of introduce yourself and tell us, you know, what your role is. Sure. Hello, everybody. My name is Maddie Christian, and I work over at 31st Union, which is also another 2K studio. Um, though... It's a new studio, and so everything that we are currently working on is not really well known. So we got to keep it hush hush. But um, I work with the environment team as well, um, and I kind of do. I touch a little bit of everything: architecture, uh, organics. Um, although I love doing plants and trees and grasses myself, so whenever I get a chance to do that, I'm kind of like the unofficial go-to person to handle that type of stuff. So that's really fun. Oh, very cool. So I now I know. You're all here because you all graduated from the Academy of Art. But I want to really ask that first question because video games for a lot of people really is kind of, it kind of ebbs and flows. A lot of people are like, ah, video games, I did it when I was a kid. Ah, I'm not into it. Oh, my cousin's into it. Or they're super really into it full time. What were some of those games that you played that you went, ah, oh, this is something that I want to do? Uh, Lord, what, what, what was one of the video games that you played that you were like, oh, man, I love it? Uh, there was honestly, I was influenced by a lot and a lot of different genres, anywhere from first person shooters to uh, the Mario series, just absolutely everything. Um, and for me, it wasn't a specific game that made me decide 
oh, I want to go into games. It was a specific time where I realized that I can go into games and make a career out of it. <laughs> Maddie, Maddie you're, you're, you're shaking your head. Yes. What, what, what does that mean that you can now go into games? What does that mean? I think, um, you know, in the early stages of the, as kind of games became its own industry in those early years, um, it d- I think still to some extent today, but a lot of people didn't really realize that that was a career choice that you could do when you wear, when you kind of like read about like the first generation of developers. Um, I mean, some of them were like truckers who were just like, yeah, I'll write for Bioware or, you know, like whatever. It was just kind of like these random group of people coming together to like make these really cool new things that was like, you know, almost inconceivable back then. And here we are, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, and you can actually specialize in it. And so for me growing up, it was kind of the same thing. I loved video games, but I didn't really realize you could have a career. Um, I was more looking into 3D animation initially um, when I was a teenager. So it was just something that I just learned I could do and decided I wanted to do it. That's, you know, that's one of those things I think is kind of fascinating with all of the technology stuff that it's not that difficult to learn per se. It's, it, you can sit down at a computer, yell at the box for a while and fight your way through it and start to learn some of these skills. And I'll come, I want to come back and talk about some of the skills you learned at, at the academy and some of the skills you've learned outside that you're, you're still progressing on. But I know, Kuko, you, you got into video games in a very unique way. You know, tell us a little bit about how you started playing video games. Um, so I'm giving, I'm going to give you a little bit of my background. So I'm from China and back when I was growing up, video game was kind of banned in a way, you, you know, like you can, you cannot really publish a video game legally. So you have to go to kind of like back alley, um, get it from some weird shady store that's probably very illegal. Um, so, and my mom, she was a, uh, she's a very interesting person. So. You know, like usually moms in China, they would buy their daughters like dolls and stuff. But somehow she bought me Game Boys. <laughs> and, and that Game Boy was kind of like a back alley deal too. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know where she like got it smuggled in. Uh, she got me this, um, the first Game Boy, you know, the big brick one. Um, the yellow, I remember it was yellow color. I played a lot of Mario on it. And I played okay. a lot of um, <laughs> I Bugs Bunny. I remember a Bugs Bunny game. Uh, wait, it was not Bugs Bunny. It was Bugs Bunny's baby. Tiny Toons, okay. Tiny Toon. Tiny Toon, yeah, Tiny Toon, yes. I play a lot of Tiny Toon there. Um, and then gradually I started playing um, a na- Resident Evil A natural Evil progression 3. from, from uh, Tiny you know, when... Toons to Resident Evil, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I remember back then I would, in, in my uh, middle school, I would skip class just like play the Resident Evil at home. And my mom would like wait, be waiting outside, be like, do you want some snacks? And she would like call in to the school and be like, oh, my daughter is sick. So, so I, I did not know why she, <laughs> maybe she was like enabler. So, so, and then because I really got into gaming and then I came here, I started playing World of Warcraft and I started skipping class again. <laughs> playing World of Warcraft overnight. Um, and I thought, oh, well, I guess I'll just work for Blizzard. Um, it, it was just, you know, it was like for shits and giggles. It was not serious. But then when I actually got into Academy of Art and I realized, oh, wait, I actually can 
work, you know, apply to Blizzard and become like a game artist too. Um, so that that's kind of yeah my see I, know, I remember like, you know I'm I'm, I'm old enough where I had to play with quarters and all artist. that and you know all my birthday money and any of the money I made went straight into an arcade which was equally a shady place and you know you know smelled of you know cigarettes and you know stale soda and popcorn and you're like eh, yeah I don't know if I want to go there now but you know now it seems like video games are beyond accepted and and you know I've I've talked to you you know all before that it seemed like you all had a creative background. What came first for you? Was it the gaming side or was it the creative side? Uh, for me personally, it was gaming. Um, my my uncle and my dad specifically uh, played a lot of games and I, I want, you know, it looked fun. So it was a lot of that. And then the creative came after and then, you know, coexisted. <laughs> what, 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 what attracted you to the creative side of those games? What, what did you see that you were like, wow, this is something interesting? Uh, I love the visuals. Um, and, you know, as any kid, you, you, you want to draw. And I was specifically drawing, uh, you know, scenes that I saw from games or, you know, even, even like TV shows. I would draw my favorite characters and stuff. But I really like the idea of like recreating what I saw. Um, and I was a kid, so it was just like what I interpreted and have reference. And then I, you know, recreated it. But <laughs> those are just kind of like early on. <laughs> See, that's that art school training. Like, here's my reference and here's yeah. me recreating it. Not I oh, just yeah. copy things <laughs> off the TV. No, this is my reference. This is my reference piece. Maddie, what were you what were you doing creatively before you got into the um, gaming? So when I was about like three years old, I decided that I wanted to be an artist when I grew up. Like that was my profession. I loved my mom loves to tell the story of how when I was 18 months old, I was coloring within the lines and drawing pictures like she loves to do that. Um, and, you know, unlike most kids, you know, each kid kind of like, you know, goes through a different profession every year. They'll, they'll switch because they can't decide. I was artist, 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 literally my entire life. I never faltered on that. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, I knew what I wanted to do really early on. Um and initially video games, um, my parents were the exact opposite of Kuko's where like, they did not like them. They did not want us playing them. We had CD games that we would put into our computer, but they were learning games. So like Sesame Street, Jumpstart Kids, learn how to speak Spanish, like that type of thing. And I had this neighbor uh, who lived across the street from us and my brother and I would go over to his house and his mom, she didn't give a shit. She had the Xbox, the GameCube, the PlayStation. So here I am five years old playing Halo. Um, and it was amazing. It was great. And so that was, it, it, it was initially for me kind of like this secret thing where we had to like sneak over to his house just so we could play. Um, and I didn't initially realize that again, you could go into that and make games like have it as a profession um and i realized you know you could go into 3d animation and so when i was in high school i decided okay i want to go to art school and so i started looking at schools um and i actually uh decided to attend the academy summer program that they have for high school students um and so I took some classes one of them was a 3d animation class um which i just i learned that i did not like actually animating was definitely something that was way too technical for me. Um, but I also took a class that was called Art for Video Games or something like that. And essentially it was just sculpting in ZBrush. Um, and someone who had a tr traditional art background where I'd been drawing and 
doing all that type of stuff my whole life, it felt very natural for me. And then that's kind of like when I realized that A, the the school had a gaming program and B, I could actually do art digitally and have a pretty fun, awesome career out of it. And that's when I decided to make the switch and then come to school. A quick question. I know all of you shook your head like, oh, man, 3D animation, not my thing. What, Kuko, what, what was the what did you not like about 3D animation? I mean, I know what I don't like about it, but what do you what did you not like about doing it? It's very complicated. <laughs> it's because especially talking in terms of like traditional traditional animation, you have to like draw frame by frame. And the 3D animation is like the poses, the weight. It it is not. And then I know people who are like naturally attuned to that type of thing, like how they, they will like observe people move and they love observing it. But for me, like I, I don't. <laughs> so so it, to me, it's a nightmare. I, I took a, a animation class too. And, and uh, uh. Lord, was there, was, was that, <laughs> like that the same? Just, oh man, <laughs> these people and their emotions, forget it. Yeah, I mean, apparently I was good at it, but I was like, no way. <laughs> I just couldn't sit there and just keep going over the same thing. I, and I know, respectively, you do the same thing with, with 3D art. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of work. It's it's the same way, same thing, but it's so different. <laughs> One is fun for me, and the other is just tedious. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like you guys said, I don't want to sit there and, and watch how people move and, like, try to replicate. Yeah, it seems you know? like, so just for me, it's not interesting. It seems like so much math. Yeah. Like, you know, I went to art school, so I didn't have to do math. <laughs> That was why I went to art school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if you're animating like in Maya, they, you have to like adjust these graphs. And there's oh, so many yeah. graphs for I every know. single pose. Like, no, I just want to sculpt or draw or paint. Like, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to each their own though, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We'll do one of these with character artists and they'll just be like, there's nothing better than just drawing a character. It's the most amazing thing ever. How they move. Pretty much. Oh, that's like 90% of artists. They all want to draw characters. This is true, yep. <laughs> well, let, I mean, let's, let's go into you know, your experience at the Academy, but I want to ask you about that, why you became environment artists, because that seems like very niche, because like you said, Kuko, a lot of people we talk to, it's like, you want to draw the character. The character seems to be the glory and the, and the money, but if the character doesn't have anything to throw at somebody or doesn't walk around in a space, it's just a, a fancy stick figure in you know, in 3D accesses doing nothing. For all of you, was this the first time you had heard of the school of game development or a school where you, you know, video game school, for lack of a better term? Was this the the, the early iteration for you? Well, so I, I mean, the whole thing was a surprise to me when I accidentally took a 3D modeling class in high school. And that and just to go back, that's kind of where I realized, I was like, oh, I can do this as a career? Like, this is cool. Um, so I, w- the Academy of Art was one of the first schools I looked into. So it definitely is on the, on the board of, wow, game development's a thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's really a thing, huh? I get it. makes sense. I mean, it is a multi-billion dollar industry. It makes sense. Exactly. Why don't you think about it before? You're like, games get made. How? I mean, you know? <laughs> so, and for Kuko, what, what attracted you to the Academy? I was originally a student, uh, at, San Francisco State University, and my major was sociology. Um, so after, uh, granted, I'm still very interested in sociology and psychology, you know, everything that's like related to behaviors. Um, but I realized, well, you know, obviously English is my second language. And 
it's gonna be a hassle for me to write papers. And if I wanna get my PhD, oh, it's gonna be like a long, cold road. So, um, but then I realized I actually like art too, and since a young age, but, but not like, I guess not to the extent where people, some kids, they would like draw even in the class, like all the time. Uh, not, not me, but, but I'm just attracted to like visual things. So I thought maybe I should like shift my career. So I decided to kind of go into interior design. And then I thought, well, obviously state schools don't have good interior design program. That's why I found Academy of Art. And I was looking through their catalog and I thought, wait, they have 3D animation. That sounds more fun. <laughs> and I applied. But then when the, the year I applied, they opened up uh, game design. So I guess they sent me an email and they're like, hey, now we have game design manager. And I thought, oh, wait, game design, that does not sound like a job. And that's like even more fun. And I applied to game design and it was the first year. So, you know, a lot of things were kind of still kind of, they were trying to figure out how to run the program. It was very interesting. And it was like a very good experience for me too. So yeah, that's like, I have like a weird <laughs> trajectory. So we know what character artist is. That's kind of an obvious thing. It's the it's the big scary monster. It's the fairy. It's the ninja turtle. Because you know I'm I'm old and ninja turtles are cool. Um, but what what's the environment artist do? Lord, you know what what are you? I know you can't get into too much detail what you're working on at 2K. But you know, as an environment artist, what are you focusing on? What is it you're looking for? So I, it's everything from uh, the background, the, the environment, the environment, the scene. This, the world that you're you're creating to even like props and uh, I everybody mentioned they do uh, plants and and foliage I do that as well in in, in my day to day uh, also agree it's really fun um, <laughs> and it's just for me it's the world that you're creating you know like you, you're it's a setting there's it's part of the story it, it, you know it, it builds that so that's just what you're creating when it comes from like buildings or like the exterior or the interior it just all of it falls under the same category. What are some of those those pieces that you focus on or parts of the environment uh, that you when you look at it and go, this this is going to make the scene. This is something that has to be there that really brings the viewer or the gamer into that immersed world. Is there something that you would like to focus on or a specific a specific uh, what would you call what you call it? A, I know, Maddie, you do props and other things, but would you call it a prop or would you call it a, a, um just a patch of grass? How do you, how do you signify what it is? Um, it really depends on where the environment is. Um, and that's the, I think the most important thing when you're looking at an environment, you need to know, you know, what it is, whether it's a desert or a cityscape. And I like, kind of like to think of it in like three different categories, like priority one props, priority two props, and priority three props. Um, and priority ones are the ones that establish where you are. Um, so if you're in a jungle, you're going to need some really big trees. If you're in a cityscape, you're going to need skyscrapers, like those huge things that are everywhere, where if you don't have it, you have no idea where you are. Um, you know, priority two props are smaller things um, that you still kind of need, but they add a little more detail. And priority three props are those things that you really don't need in there, but they help communicate narrative, kind of like broken bottles or post-it notes or, you know, posters or everything that you see hanging up on my wall right here, you know, that type of stuff. Like, I don't need any of these things to know that I'm in a room. Um, I need walls to know that I'm in a room. I need a bed to know that I'm in a bedroom. And then all this decorative stuff to know it's a more personalized 
space. Um, so, so which is more fun then? What's more fun to make, the personalized stuff or the, the personalized or... stuff? Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it kind of goes into more like world building. But when you take all of these things that you kind of have made, and just the empty void, that's kind of the okay part. But the really fun part, in my opinion, is taking all this stuff and then arranging it in a really cool way that communicates something about the environment or the character. And that's what draws me to environment art is you can make a character and that's cool. You can tell like a, something about them by, you know, their skin tone, their facial features, what they're wearing, that type of stuff. But you really don't know anything about them unless you see like their living space or the places they like to hang out in. Um, that to me communicates a lot more about a person um, or a city or whatever it is more than just a character floating in the void. Yeah, you're like, uh, just to add on to that, just the whole setting the narrative, you know, just like like you said, like you going in, into like a bedroom scene and you're like, oh, this person likes these interests and blah, 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 or they left their like laundry on the floor, you know, that's like the super fun stuff. I would have to agree. You're bringing it to life. <laughs> that's what I spend the most time playing games. Like I don't actually play the game. Like I've been playing Grand Theft Auto Five recently and all I do is just walk around and look at the prop arrangements. Like <laughs> that's the most fun part for me. I, I was going to ask, I mean, I, I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm the old guy in this. So, you know, there's a lot of games that I didn't get into. My wife is a massive gamer. She's been playing forever. I, you know, I don't know what the technical term for it is, but, uh, you know, where they're very short. You know, you can play the entire game in four hours. And it really is immersive. This is not, I'm going to kill everything I see, like in Gears of War. But this is experiential, you know, and Lord, like you said, you know that you know their dirty laundry is sitting there. That maybe has some feeling to it, and and you know the doorknob and the 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 furniture. Um, how do you guys go about designing this? How what's what's the 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 start of this begin with? How do you, how do you begin designing a world for an environment? If that's a question that makes sense, Kuko, what do you what do you, what do you think? Mm, well, uh, since my I mostly deal with just plants environment, um, so I can give you that part of the breakdown, which is um, you kind of have to envision. Um, first of all, we usually work with the story, um, and say for example, the story take place in say a tropical jungle, and and then you have to look for I guess what is the theme of a tropical jungle what speaks most of the jungle so like maddie mentioned earlier okay the big trees but what type of big trees is it like the redwood big tree you know in the redwood forest no it those are not the jungle type of tree the jungle type of tree they are very like they have a lot of roots so and i know i know it feels like oh not everybody know that but everybody actually kind of know that type of information just from watching movies, media, reading books. So we were all like unconsciously trained to be already to tell, like, if you look at the jungle and if it was, if it was made wrong, you can tell something's off. The audience, for like a layman, they can tell something is not right about this place. Um, and that's, I think that's kind of our job to figure out what speaks most of that type of space and then we identify the elements to support a theme, and then we build the world. 
So I don't know if that answers your question. No, 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 that does because I mean that's one of those things that you know when you know if you're going to write a good story, they say all you know all the details really make it and flesh it out for somebody. Um, if you know, like you said, yeah, if the tree's the wrong tree, then it's like eh, this game's kind of dumb. I always like to say that as environment artists, if we do stuff well, no one's going to notice except for other environment artists or art directors. But if it's done wrong, everyone will notice. Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. That's a question I want to ask you, ask all of you. What were some of the pieces that you have worked on that you went, wow, this really, I am really proud of this. Just to give everybody an example of, you know, the type of work you're going to be making. I was asked to make a uh, foliage kit for a particular biome. Um, and I made a bunch of different trees, shrubs, and grasses and flowers and that type of stuff so again level one props level two props level three props um and it was like i don't know like a 35 40 piece kit and, and so just just for people who are listening who might not know what a kit is uh, part of what we do as environment artists is we have to make things that we can use over and over and over and over again that match together with the other pieces because we can't spend all of our time making nice individual things it's it the levels aren't going to get done um so the purpose of making this kit was to make uh trees and other types of foliage that you could immediately look at it and identify it with the biome that that it was placed in and you know with different variations so here's one that's fully grown here's one that has like a little cluster here's one that's kind of dying like Doing all of that was really cool because, I mean, I love plants and foliage and I backpack and camp all the time. And so I, a lot of the stuff I know is just through personal observation. Um, but being able to go through that, that entire creative process and then hand it off to other level designers and world builders and having it, having to see it like start to just instantiate everywhere across the map um, was really cool because I could see how people were taking the things that I, I was making and then using it how they creatively thought it could be used. And that was a really cool, proud moment. Like, yes, everything in this map, if it's tree, I made it. Yes. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Cause yeah, that, that's gotta be a great feeling to go, you know, throughout times, like you see all that, that right here, my brain, I made it. Lord, what what are some of those cool things that you you've made and just gone? Wow, look at that! Look at that thing I did. Well, I just want to point out. Um, so last year, uh, when we we launched uh, NBA Two K Twenty One, I had done a lot. Of, I the year or so prior to that, I had started kind of taking hold of the foliage. But just as a funny story, uh, last year one of the trailers opened up with one of the trees I made, and I remember my friend who was also my roommate just stopping everything going, oh you made that that's your tree <laughs> uh, again but like nobody really sees or appreciates your things except for the people that like really know you know what you're working on and just funniest things so basically from that story i want to say like it's everything ranges from big to small you know and every year that changes for me um, i'm always finding things that i'm 
super proud of and of course like every artist you grow as you you go along each project you do you go this was my best piece and then you go okay the next one you're like oh wow this is like not that great compared to this and that's just the ongoing process so it's just about like finding finding that like spark in every uh kind of project that you you do like asset or even like smaller scale like that or as large as a project um, but are you asking a specific, specific item? <laughs> if you can, I know, I know there, there is so much. Thing. I make video games for people who play games. And I know you, I can't tell you what it is, but you know, that I understand. Well, I mean, in, in college, um, I remember one specific asset I had, I had made was a pocket watch and I know it's just simple, but, uh, like in concept, but that was one of my really aha moments of, uh, wow, everything clicks. I, I know what I'm doing. And like I, and the process to get here wasn't as difficult. It was fun more than how do I do this? How do I do this? You know, everything just made sense. And from then on, everything just like had a better flow. So for me personally, that super destroyed up pocket watch that I tried to tell a story through was my piece. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Yeah. I mean, cause that's gotta be the hard stuff to do is when you're just working with numbers and zeros and, and, and fighting through things like ZBrush and Maya and, you know, it's just banging your head against a keyboard going, Oh, there it is. It's actually a working thing. And it can be as small as that. I know we're environment artists and we have larger scale items, but again, this was in college and it's like, ah, that's my aha moment. Everything makes sense. I kind of know what I'm doing now. Let's continue. You know, <laughs> Kuko, what, what was there something for you that uh, you really look back on and, and go, ah, that was the thing. That was really what I liked. Um, uh, for me, the, so the, for the latest expansion that I worked on uh, is the Shadowland expansion from World of Warcraft. Um, so I, particularly was uh, the point person on um, Revendreth. It was kind of like the gothic vampire-ish themed zone. So um, I, I'm very proud of the sky, the two skyboxes I made for the zone um, because we're, since the expansion happened in kind of like otherworldly place, so nothing should really be very um, earthly. So the sky should be a little bit weird, you know, something is off. So I came up with this idea, well, this is a vampire zone, so what if you know, maybe there's some red elements in it. Um, so, and then the cloud is more abstract instead of looking like clouds, but they look a little bit more like souls. Um, so yeah, so I finished it and I, I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, and also like the lighting, I, I am proud of the lighting too. And then the assets I made because um, when you said, make a plant look like vampire plant, like, well, well I mean, what is a vampire plant exactly? You, you know, <laughs> um, but I feel like I ended up did make some plants that they had a gothic vampire shape language. And I hope people get that. Well, it is a vampire plant. <laughs> what do you look back on in your education as far as classes or things you learned that you went? Yeah, this this I should have spent a little bit more time on or something that you looked at and went this this really was the key for me. These are those things that anybody who wants to follow the path that you are on really needs to, to think about what were some of those classes or some of those fundamentals you learned that are key for what you do every day lord what, what are some of those things that you think you do uh so um just uh real quick so everything you learn in college in my opinion is sets the foundation work that's where you learn the programs 
and you learn the pipeline, all the terminology, you really understand the world. But when you get your first job as an artist, you take that with you, but there's so much that you still learn on the job because for example, some studios, you learn their own uh, engine and that isn't really, you know, you, you've never worked in a space, you've technically worked in a space that way. For example, we use Unreal and Unity in college. And let's say your studio has their own engine. Um, it it kind of, it's kind of like transfers, not one-to-one, but you have a general idea. So that's where that foundation work uh, kind of comes in. So basically just what I'm trying to say, just all the foundation work that you may not think is as important. Because for me personally, when I was in college, I, I just, I wanted to learn it all and I just kept trying to go, go, go. And I needed to settle down a little bit and really uh, take in a lot more of those that foundation work because no matter how prepared you will be from, from school, you still, your very first day, week, whatever, first job, there's still gonna be things that you can't learn in school. So it's very important to have that really strong foundation so that you can carry that over and have an easier transition. Oh, that that's some great advice. That you know, good to know that everything you learn is important because a lot of times it's like, am I going to use everything. that? <laughs> yeah, you're going to use this every single thing. Uh, Kuko, what what were some of the things that uh, you know? Was there something specific that you learned in school that you're like, oh yeah, this I use this every day? Um, uh, there's something I wish I would learn, which is oil paint oil painting class. Um, and I think it's actually really important. Um, for the students who want to eventually, you know, become like a concept artist or um, they want to make more stylized environment um, because the painting skill, um, if you took oil painting, I think it will help you, like Lord said, like set you up with like a great foundation. And then, yes, you can learn like later on, like digital technique at work, but the un- understanding of, you know, how color and light works and how, say, when you paint, a scene that's full of green trees. And there is something that artists call like the ugly green is the green paintings are sold less compared to like other paintings. So how, so artists actually often stay away from painting green, but you know, sometimes you can't avoid because you look at all the movies, the video games, there's a ton of forests you have to paint green, right? Um, so there are techniques to deal with that in oil painting. Um, that That's why I feel like I wish I have taken that. And I would suggest people who are aspire artists take oil painting class and really work hard on your perspective class. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those actual hand skills. I, I, that was me. I was like, why do I take perspective? I'm in 3D. I'm never going to be, set. you know, it's just, again, just going off of foundations. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> there are times your boss will be like, hey, can you like draw a really quick concept of this? car or box or like (laughs) everything is important (laughs) maddie was there something you wish you would have taken or spent a little more time on um so for me the biggest thing that i always struggled with being a traditionally trained artist and so funny thing when i got when i first got to the school it was my first time touching digital art wow um yeah, my, my parents never had the money to buy like a super fast computer so I could learn to do stuff. So I literally got into school on a scholarship just with my drawings and stuff. Um, so the biggest challenge for me was just adapting to all of the technical things that an environment artist needs to know. And to this day, it's something that I still struggle with and it's it's the most frustrating thing. Um, and definitely um, things that 
at least when I was in school, uh, that wasn't gone over. I think enough was just kind of like learning how to optimize, you know, um, and, you know, when engineering comes and says, this is way too dense, you have to reduce the asset. And I guess that leads me to the more important thing of being an artist, it's really easy um, for all of us to just be kind of be stuck in our own little world. Like I'm just making the little plant or I'm making the little car or whatever. And those things, you're on a team, this is a team thing. And those things will be handed off to designers and you know, engineering needs to optimize everything. And so you really need to know how to communicate with people who don't think like you and who have other needs that aren't yours. Um, and I think that was maybe the thing I didn't focus on enough when I was in school. Um, I took some of the collab classes, but I don't think I took enough of them. Um, and so definitely those foundational things, um, this is an art job. So there's a lot of technical people who kind of just want to focus on the tech. For me, it was the opposite problem, but um, I knew people who were trying to get out of figure drawing, for example. I'm like, no, you need this. You need the color theory classes because this is an art profession. Yeah, color theory, that 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 blew my mind. I think every time anybody who took a theory color theory class, at the end of it, you're like, I see everything totally different now. Yep. Yep. What just happened? Totally. Pink and um, green actually can go together. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely like those soft skills you need, those are just as important as the hard skills. You know, learning how to communicate with people, being cooperative, um, putting your ego aside, not taking things personally. Um, those are skills that sometimes you don't practice enough in school. And I think the earlier you get started on them, the better and easier it will be when you get into the industry. Yeah, I totally agree with Maddie that um, because I feel like when we work separate discipline, we kind of assume the other discipline know the knowledge that we know. Um, so oftentimes when, say, they made a decision that impact our uh, project negatively, you know, uh, our tasks, and then we will kind of get, we often tend to get a little bit, you know, angry, be like, what? why did they do this? Like, this completely messed up my task, my schedules. But the thing is, maybe they did not know. Um, that's why I think I agree with Maddie that you, it's important to communicate and, and don't assume, don't assume they know what you know, um, find out why they, so find out the motivation, find out the why, like why, why did they do that? Instead of just, yeah, assume that, oh, they did this because they want to mess up my schedule. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't like you, yeah. Kuto. I'm going to make your life heck. <laughs> I, I also agree. This is like a very good advice because again, in, in school, it's just about you and honing in on your skills. And then you get into the industry and it's almost like speaking separate languages. You know, there was one time I was speaking to uh, an engineer and I'm saying normal map, this and that. And they're, they're saying the same thing, but in a very technical way. And we're both saying the same thing, but we're not, not quite understanding. They're like, what's a normal map? And I'm like, what's, I don't even remember how they said it. And I was like, what? And, and you know, and then we got a tech artist to go, okay. <laughs> it's just like, almost like speaking another language, just communicate. How does my decision impact you and other vice versa? Well, that, that brings up that question of feedback. I know, you know, when you go through art school, you know, kind of the old way of was, was like, you put all your stuff up for people to see. And it was like the professor's job to make you cry. It was like, <laughs> this is what you're going to, I remember that. That's, that's, you know, I went through some classes like that. Um, and, and you, you come out of it learning, you know, you've got to take the feedback. You gotta, you gotta take the hit. Cause you know, you have to have your work 
you know, really broken down and, and figure out why. But it's a different type of feedback when you get on the job, right? What are, you know, we all know that feedback is important and getting feedback is important. What is some of the type of feedback that you're getting in a working environment as opposed to school where it's trying to make you the best? What, what's some of the feedback that you're getting that you have to deal with? Well, so when you're working uh, at a studio, your input and your ideas are very important and they're taken into account. But you got to look at the big picture. And the big picture is what that team is going for. So if something looks good to you and you know you, you like this style and, and they tell you, oh, I need you to change this, you got to make sure you don't take it personal because this is not your personal project. You know what I mean? You're part of a team and you're not the one, only one deciding what the visual is going to look like. So in those instances, you know, let's say, for example, I make a table and I make it red with yellow spot, polka dot. And my art director comes back and says, I don't like that. Like, well, it looks great, but like, that's not what we need. I need blue with like white stripe. And you, you got to make sure you say, OK, well, not, they're not saying that my work isn't good. They're saying that's not what the project needs. And there, for me personally, it, it was a little bit difficult in the beginning just because, I mean, again, school uh, trained me to take feedback and criticism and it still hurts, you know, even if they do tell you, I don't like what you did. Like sometimes that does happen. But again, it's just very important. The difference is it's not just you and you're making a piece for your portfolio. It's this is a piece you're making that has to fit with everything else that the, your team, the rest of your team is working on. When we're actually working, uh, and yet we're all at COVID, we're all working at home, but even in the office and when you're working on projects, how do you deal with procrastination? How do you deal with a million things preventing you from making the project, making the doorknob, making the foliage? How do you deal with procrastination? Kuka, what, what, what are some, some ideas you think you have, you have for dealing with procrastination? Uh, I would like to recommend a book called Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits, okay. Yes, it's a great book talking about exactly procrastinating and build good habits. So one thing he mentioned um, that was very helpful to me, when you are procrastinating is that you feel kind of overwhelmed by the amount of things you have to do, right? So say, I need to say go work out. And, and I feel like, oh God, it just sounds like an hour workout is so tiring. I don't want to do it. And I'm not going to sit on couch. Um, the, the best way is actually to shrink your goal, to make them small goals. Say, instead of an hour workout, how about I just do, say, five minutes? I'll just curl the iron for five minutes. That's like very little amount of time. Um, but the things, once you actually get out to do the five minutes of chore, you ended up with, with doing it for too longer. So the same with art. Um, if you're at work, you're like, oh, God, this task sounds so difficult. Then maybe think about how about, say, if you're concepting, how about just draw like one tree? Just one. And, and then I'll go take a break. But, but usually when you're actually doing it, you, you just end up getting into the zone. So set up small goals. Don't, don't, don't give you like ambitious goal because it will always overwhelm you and make you just pro procrastinate. <laughs> that, that sounds way too intelligent. Oh, that's <laughs> that's kind of way too logical to just put into action. I mean, you know, now I now you know now I have five hundred more things I have to do today. <laughs> now on the other side, another question, which you know, kind of dovetails in, in a professional setting, when do you know or when do you call it and go, I'm done, I'm done with this piece of artwork? When do you feel 
okay, I can now show it to my boss, my art director. When is it done? Maddie, when do you look at your stuff and go, I'm done? It depends what stage it's in. Like if I'm doing blockouts, I need to make sure that the blockout is okay with designers, you know, so it doesn't inhibit gameplay. Um, once they, those are signed off, then I start actually making it pretty, you know? And so I, I'll do check-ins with my lead um, or my art director at various stages. So I'll get it to a point where I say, okay, before I take this any further, so I don't waste my time. I want to make sure that they think that this is okay. And if I have to, have, if I have to show references, I show references like, hey, this is what I'm looking at. And then they'll give me feedback. And so when it gets to about, I don't know, like the 75%, 80% mark, you know, they say, okay, just finish it out, hyper polish. I'll do it. And then I'll show it. Okay. Hey guys. And then they might say, oh, well, maybe we want to, you know, pull back on this and then you're done. And then I do that. And I'm like, okay, you know, hands off. Um, so it, it does require you to just kind of know like the bar that you're being set. So if you have like other assets in the game, it's easier to be like, okay, I need to get this thing to that level. Um, and if it's not at that level, then it's not gonna be done because it's not gonna be as developed or as finished as those other done pieces. Um, for me, it requires a lot of communication between people who are who might inevitably come back and say, we need to change this. So if I keep constant communication with them the whole time, there's less of a chance of that happening. Mm, that makes sense. The, uh, the people who are always going to, uh, you know, disagree with you or the people who are always going to know what's actually going to happen. Uh, it's more about the people who, who will ask for more, which is not, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it's a, you know, you have to say, okay, I can get this amount of stuff done within this time frame, And then that forces decisions to, you know, to be made of, to, to prioritize essentially. So, cause you know, as artists, we're never going to be, I think, fully happy with our work. We're always going to be thinking about how we could continuously improve it. And at one point you just need to say, okay, this is as good as I can do it within the amount of time that I'm given. I need to move on to other things that need my attention now. And it's more about being okay with that. And that's another, excuse me, <clears throat> that's another skill. I think a lot of people would, um, it would behoove them to practice that. Um, and that's like an ever, an ongoing struggle <laughs> as an artist is trying to be okay with letting go of things, even though, oh, I could just work on it a little bit more. Um, yeah. Just to wrap it up, you know, and, and again, thank you all for this. This, is, this has been very enlightening. I mean, for myself and for everybody, I think, because you're actually working in the industry. Um, Five-year plan. What are we thinking? You know, where is is video games it for all of you? Is is this really, you know, the goal that you you've 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 hit hit pay dirt as they say? It's good, Lord. You're you're shaking your head yes, going yep yep I'm good. Is that is it? Yeah, this it? I mean, I've always been influenced by games, and I mean, I'm in almost my uh, late twenties now, and it has not changed. So I don't see it changing <laughs> anytime soon. I love the industry I work in. It's challenging but very rewarding. Um, and I even love it in my spare time. So, uh, it's my, yeah, that's my five-year plan of probably 10, hopefully <laughs> as well. <laughs> even, well, you know, you can't plan for the future that far, but I can see, yeah, me in games for a long time. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Kuko, you? Yeah, for me, it's the same, but I would like to pivot towards a little bit more, um, kind of direction, art direction, you know, like more, more painting, 
more editorial, that type of giving advice, type of direction. Um, yeah, I kind of recently fell in love with uh, illustration, so <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But but still in games, still, still in, in games. games. Okay. And Maddie? Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. You know, I have fun every day at work, and that was my whole point when I was younger. It's like, man, if I'm gonna have to work uh, my whole life. Hopefully I can make it so that I am just having fun and it doesn't feel like work. And for most days, I would say 95% of all my days, I get to wake up and do something that's really fun. And that's really satisfying. So there you have it. Everything you wanted to know about the world of environment art in the world of game development. Because if you've ever dreamed about a career in art and design, more and more art and design career opportunities are, of course, on the rise. Employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. At Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want today. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and, of course, anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request more information about our 40-plus areas of study, including game development, animation, visual development, and more, just visit our website at academyart.edu creativemind. I'm Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.